0: It's 11 o'clock, I'm Steve Dunthorne. tonight's headlines. The government issues mandatory COVID testing orders to residents of two housing blocks, department store staff and a large group of construction workers. Jailed activist Agnes Chow is again denied bail, pending an appeal. And the UN's human rights chief says the national security law is having a chilling effect on basic freedoms here. Thousands of people have been ordered to get mandatory coronavirus tests following clusters of COVID-19 infections at two residential buildings, a department store in Chatin and a construction site. However, the authorities have decided against using their new powers to impose any lockdowns that would have required everyone involved to stay put until they test negative. Francis Sitt reports.
1: Four more residents at Block 8 of Xing West Estate in Chong have come down with the virus, bringing the total in that cluster to 22. The government's decided to order all residents in the same block to get tested. They also issued mandatory testing orders to people at Ken Wai House at Ken Fung Court in Ma Shan following an outbreak there, and for around 1,400 construction workers at the Chuanquan O2 Lam Tin Tunnel. There's only one confirmed case and five preliminary positives for now. But Dr. Chuan Shuk of the Center for Health Protection says authorities aren't taking any chances.
2: They have a container for changing room and resting sometimes, so they may share some of the facilities.
1: Staff who work at two floors of the Yata Department store in Sha Tin have also been ordered to get tested, with one more confirmed infection there, along with five preliminary positives. Authorities said they elected to order tests instead of full lockdown because they just want people to get tested. Dr. Chang added that just because they have the power to seal off buildings doesn't mean they should. A total of 104 new coronavirus cases were confirmed overall for the day, 99 of which were locally acquired infections. 35 have no known source of infection.
0: Government-run leisure facilities will close from tomorrow until further notice in light of the coronavirus situation. The Leisure and Cultural Services Department said its outdoor and indoor facilities, from sports venues to libraries and museums, will all close. Beaches will also close again just five weeks after they were reopened. Pro-democracy activist Agnes Chow has again been denied bail as she returned to court a week after being jailed over a 2019 protest. A High Court judge says she doesn't think the activist's appeal against her prison sentence has a reasonable chance of success, as Violet Wong reports.
3: Agnes Chow was given a 10-month jail term last week after pleading guilty to inciting people to join an unauthorised assembly outside police headquarters on June the 21st last year, as well as taking part in the protest herself. Her defense had announced at the sentencing hearing at West Kowloon Magistracy last week that they planned to appeal, but their application for bail at the time was denied. This time at the High Court, the defense outlined their grounds for appeal, including that the sentence was too high compared with similar cases and that the 24-year-old activist had not instigated any violence. High Court Judge Judiana Barnes rejected the bail request, dismissing the chances of success in the appeal. The judge added that she doesn't think it would be unfair for the activist to remain in prison until the appeal is heard in court, given that the jail sentence is not that short. Two other former Demosisto members were also jailed last week, Joshua Wong for 13 and a half months and Ivan Lam for seven months.
0: The United Nations Human Rights Chief Michelle Bachelet has called on Hong Kong's judicial authorities to uphold the right to due process and fair trials. Ms Bachelet also criticised the SAR's new national security law, which she said had a chilling effect on free expression. She was speaking at a year-end news conference in Geneva.
2: On Hong Kong, I'm concerned about the rapidly shrinking civic and democratic space, especially since the passage of the national security law. A year ago, in the midst of a mass protest in Hong Kong, I had called for a broad, open, inclusive dialogue to resolve the situation. Regrettably, uh, the space has been closing rather than opening. Uh, recent convictions of activists uh, for protests that took place last year risk causing a wider chilling uh, effect on the exercise of fundamental freedoms.
0: Ms Bachelet also expressed concern about the situation in Xinjiang. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is just coming up to five minutes past 11. Taxi drivers across the SAR have started undergoing mandatory COVID-19 tests at 13 centres across the territory. But as Natalie Ching reports, not all of them are happy about having to take part.
1: The government has given taxi drivers two weeks to get tested, with those that fail to do so risking a fine of $5,000. at one noisy testing center at Kuntong Ferry Pier, some drivers weren't too happy about having to submit to the tests. This driver said the authorities should have set some parking spaces so they wouldn't be at risk of getting penalty tickets while getting tested. But another driver felt it was his civic duty to get tested. We should be doing this. We all want Hong Kong to do well, right? He said, adding that people would be more comfortable taking taxis if all the drivers are tested. But another driver spoke to pointed out that the tests wouldn't protect cabbies from any infected passengers they pick up. Taxi drivers are being given cards by the transport department to show they have taken a test.
0: Owners of fitness centres say the government is making businesses pay for its failure to curb the coronavirus outbreak by ordering them to close. The government imposed shutdown takes effect from tomorrow for at least two weeks and affects a number of venues including gyms, beauty and massage parlours and sports facilities. Ray Ray Orr, the convener of the Fitness and Combat Sports Alliance, told RTHK its members had worked hard to maintain hygiene and social distancing measures, but all for naught.
4: We're all paying a full year's rent, but we can only operate for around eight months. It's always a tough time at the end of the year. Members of the Alliance and my own gym, we've all been working hard to strengthen hygiene and social distancing measures, but it's all useless. The painful consequences of the government's policy mistakes always have to be borne by us, the little guys.
0: The Legislative Council says it's considering holding some unofficial meetings online as a precaution against coronavirus infections. Altus Wong reports.
1: Speaking after discussing the matter with a group of lawmakers, Mr Lung says the LegCo Secretariat has already set up a platform and lawmakers generally responded positively to the proposal. He says the initial idea is to allow lawmakers to attend unofficial Zoom meetings where they won't have to vote such as policy briefings where government officials and lawmakers discuss the policy address. He says such online meetings would be held publicly, but lawmakers won't be protected by the Powers and Privileges Ordinance or bound by electrical rules since those online meetings won't be official. He says the chair of a electrical panel could hold an online meeting as long as they inform their panel members three days before the scheduled meeting.
0: Lawmaker Michael Tian says he welcomes the idea, but pointed out that certain meetings must be held in person.
4: It depends on what kind of meeting, all right? If it's strictly exchange of information, it doesn't require any kind of uh, voting procedure and it does not have any uh, legal uh, ramification, I think it is understandable. Of course, I myself do not mind uh, coming to meeting every time. I think it's probably better face to face when it comes to uh, asking questions.
0: Twenty-four people have been arrested for alleged money laundering and fraud in what police describe as a $475 million investment scam. Officers say the suspects lured the victims to invest in a fund, but ended up using the money for their own purposes. Wang Yinteng has more.
5: Among those arrested are a solicitor and about a dozen insurance agents. Officers said that since 2013, around 260 victims aged between 24 and 77 had been persuaded to invest in a fund which the alleged scammers claimed had been set up by a renowned international insurance group. The individuals reported losses of between 200000 and $20 million. Police said the money was apparently used by the scammers to buy property and repay loans. Officers said as a result of their investigation, around $420 million worth of excess, including cash and real estate, had been frozen. The police said the victims discovered in 2018 that the value of the fund had dropped over 90%, and they realized in September last year that it was a scam when it was liquidated. Chief Inspector Fong Pui Ke from the Commercial Crime Bureau said the force would seek help from mainland law enforcement agencies if necessary.
4: We have continuously exchanged intelligence with mainland law enforcement authorities to ensure that parallel investigation, if merit, could be conducted in both jurisdictions.
5: That's because most of the victims are from the mainland.
0: The United Arab Emirates has said it's approved a Chinese coronavirus vaccine, which is 86% effective. This appears to be the first indication of the performance of a Chinese antivirus drug. The BBC's Michael Bristow reports. The
6: company behind the vaccine, called Sinopharm, has not yet published its own data, even though it's already asked for Chinese regulatory approval for the drug. But the United Arab Emirates has now given some information, saying the vaccine is 86% effective. The UAE has been taking part in third-phase trials of the antivirus medicine, involving 31,000 volunteers. It gave approval for its use after reviewing Sinopharm's interim analysis of those trials. Vaccines developed in China are expected to play an important role in inoculating the world's population.
0: Health officials in Chengdu have tested more than a quarter of a million people for the coronavirus following the detection of a handful of new cases in the southern mainland city. Timmy Sung has details.
4: Footage on state TV show Chengdu residents lying up in a park... and being swabbed for COVID-19 tests... by health officials in hazmat suits. Health authorities in Sichuan province's capital... say that 255,000 residents have already been tested. An exercise has uncovered seven more coronavirus cases... including one asymptomatic patient. The mass testing program comes after an elderly couple... were diagnosed with the virus on Monday. Authorities are tracing their close contacts and testing food samples. They say the virus was detected on food in their fridge and on a chopping board in their flat. Schools in the Pidu district, where the elderly couple lives, have closed. Teachers and students are to be quarantined and tested for the virus. The mainland has largely brought domestic transmissions under control after the virus first surfaced there late last year state media now blames recent clusters on imports of frozen foods and other shipments but the world health organization says there's no evidence yet to suggest people can catch covid 19 from food or food packaging
0: canada's ambassador to beijing dominic barton says two canadian men who've been detained on the mainland for more than two years are in good mental and physical condition China arrested businessman Michael Spavor and, and Hong Kong based former diplomat Michael Kovrig in December 2018, shortly after Canadian police picked up Huawei's finance chief Meng Wanzhou. The two men faced spying charges. Chinese authorities, citing the risk of the coronavirus, blocked access by Canadian diplomats for many months. Mr. Barton said he was allowed virtual visits in October after months of pressure. A ship taking passengers on a cruise to nowhere from Singapore has had to return to port early after a passenger tested positive for COVID-19. The vessel, operated by Royal Caribbean, was on a circular four-day voyage with no stops but had to dock after three days. Singapore launched the trips last month as part of efforts to revive the cruise industry. Members of President-elect Joe Biden's Coronavirus Task Force say so they expect it will take at least a year for the United States to achieve herd immunity to COVID-19. Dr. Eric Goosby said that even if the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine received official approval in the coming days, the population would not reach the required level of immunity for some time.
7: 15 to 30 percent are positive now. We need to reach 70 percent to achieve herd immunity. With the combination of individuals who are infected from the virus itself, matched with the vaccination groups, we will be able to get there toward the end of the year, beginning of the following year, at the end of the year for 2021.
0: A new United Nations report has found that the world's richest 1% of people are responsible for more than twice the volume of carbon emissions produced by the poorest 50%. Here's the BBC's Matt McGrath.
4: Despite a rapid drop-off in greenhouse gas emissions this year due to the pandemic shutdowns, the UN says the world is still heading for dangerous levels of warming this century. While government actions are critical, the report says that the very richest in society should also look to curtail their high-carbon lifestyles. To keep the world safe, the top 1% would need to slash their emissions by a factor of 30 over the next decade. The report also says that a green recovery from the pandemic could make a significant difference and would cut carbon
0: by 25% over the next 10 years. A reminder of our top stories tonight. The government issues mandatory COVID testing orders to residents of two housing blocks, department store staff and a large group of construction workers. Jailed activist Agnes Chow is again denied bail pending an appeal. And the UN's human rights chief says the national security law is having a chilling effect on basic freedoms here. The news from RTHK.
8: RTHK
0: it's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. Thousands of people have been ordered to get coronavirus tests following expanding clusters of infection at two residential buildings, a department store in Shatin and a construction site. However, the authorities have decided against using their new powers to impose lockdowns. That would have required everyone involved to stay put until they test negative. Infectious diseases expert Dr Leng Chi Chiu told Richard Pine he thinks the government has struck the right balance.
2: The virus is already widely distributed in our community. We are about to see increasing numbers of clusters in different buildings, either by chance or by active transmission. The real question is whether there is a genuine risk of a super event. And for uh, existing cases in as Estate, because a lot of residents have already been tested, although there were uh, quite a number of cases on the fifth floor of four A, the number of cases does not suggest any major risk of super event in other floors. And for that, I think um, it will be reasonable, I think, just to impose some proper testing order to ensure that uh, all those uh, who have not been tested will be tested, so as to find out those remaining cases, especially those without symptoms, to decrease the risk of further spread uh, in that building and into the community. The only reason why we need to impose lockdown of a certain building or certain estate is to prevent the rapid dissemination of the disease into the community. And for that, we need to assess whether there is a risk of a super event occurring. And if we have a number of cases, for example, on the same floor or along a vertical diversion, that may suggest something rapidly threatening uh, infection is occurring. In, in that sort of scenario, uh, you need to have a quick assessment and... For that, uh, there may be a need, I think, to temporarily seal off the area to allow you to have a rapid assessment, testing all those uh, who may be at risk, and then to decide what to do next. Well, we, we've but, had quite
6: a number of cases at that question, West Estate. Do you think the government perhaps should have acted a bit quicker to mandate that these tests are carried out for everyone
2: living there? Uh, I think if we look back at the situation... Because we have uh, 5 units over 12 persons affected out of about 40 units on the same floor, Uh, the proportion of affected units was disproportionately high, and that could suggest a risk of super event. And if at that juncture, there is a risk assessment done there to indicate uh, there may be a need to have a weapon assessment. And then there could be a reason uh, to activate complete lockdown of the building to allow weapon testing uh, to be completed within, for example, 24 hours, so as to decide what are the next steps to take. But now, I think the tests have been already done for a large proportion of the residents, and the situation is now clear. And we are not likely to see too many other cases occurring in the same building, judging from what we can assess from the incubation period and the period that the infection might have already occurred inside that building. And for that sort of scenario, I do not see a good reason to rapidly mobilize our limited resources for containment, I think, in that building at this stage.
6: And looking ahead, do you expect the daily number of COVID cases to remain at around hundred or so for the rest month? And and how likely do you think that that might rise further because of the it coming all Christmas holiday? On
2: whether we can all try to stay home as much as possible in the coming two weeks because the number of local cases without a loan source is still increasing in a very steady way uh, over the past few weeks in fact if we look at the seven day running average the number of cases increases from uh, less than uh, one to two cases three weeks ago to over 30 cases every day by today and the increasing trend means that the infection is getting more and more prevalent within our community. Unless uh, we all take due measure to try to avoid social mixing as much as possible, there is still a risk that the disease will continue to increase exponentially. So there's still a very dangerous situation that the community needs to work together, I think, to control uh, this crisis.
0: Funding for research into vaccines has come from various quarters. An early investor in BioNTech, which along with Pfizer, has successfully rolled out the first vaccines in the UK, was the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the world's largest private charitable organisation. Its co-founder, Melinda Gates, spoke to the BBC's Claire McDonnell about the US's handling of the pandemic.
7: It leaves me feeling like we have not had the right leadership in this country. You know, had we done the right things in the United States from day one or if we'd done the right things from July 1st forward or from September 1st forward, we would not be in this situation. And it is tragic to see families lose loved ones because we didn't have a sensible testing plan, contact tracing plan making sure that people wore masks that is a lack of leadership in our country and it is very disappointing to see both inside the country and at the global leadership but i expect that's going to change with the new administration here come late january
8: you have confidence in in joe biden's administration you say the us will re-enter the global stage and be a participant in making the whole world get this vaccine Um, What what are you asking him to do specifically? He's made a lot of
7: promises. What does he need to do? He needs to make sure that the U.S. re-enters many of the global mechanisms that it not only used to be part of, but it used to lead, put us back to funding the WHO, help fund this Act A Accelerator, which is COVID tools for everybody and then make sure he starts to build back our foreign diplomacy. He knows from all of his own years of work as a senator and as a vice president and the amount of traveling he's done, how important diplomacy is. Um, So I'm super optimistic about this. And we're also optimistic because I look at the COVID task force that he's just put in place and announced in the US and it is extremely well qualified, eminent group of people.
0: Now to the story of the English National Ballet School's first Indian student. 20-year-old Kamal Singh has been dubbed the Indian Billy Elliot. The son of a Delhi rickshaw driver, he took up dancing after being inspired by Bollywood, and he's made it to London thanks to some crowdfunding and help from stars. The BBC's Prior Ray went to meet him.
9: For more than 30 years, the English National Ballet School has welcomed students from all over the world, but never before from India.
6: I feel so uh, happy and good that I'm a student and uh, I reached that level.
9: Kamal Singh has put his name in the history books.
6: Like, this is a big opportunity for me and I'm representing India uh, first time in abroad, so I have a big responsibility now.
9: India is no stranger to dance but for Kamal it wasn't the usual bhangra or bollywood numbers that attracted him
6: I want to do always you know different than the others uh, so I, I found ballet style is totally different and got attracted with the jump and uh, you know the movements we are dancing in the story from the 16th century and we don't speak we just uh, you know tell the story with our dancing movements are you
8: can you jump? No no i
9: think Kamal now looks pretty at home doing pirouettes and being on point. But this is all a leap that he's taken in just a few years.
6: I started 17 and that is quite late for male ballet dancer. So I used to work really, really hard. Uh, I used to train uh, 10 to 12 hours per day.
9: And it was Fernando aguilera who took Kamal on in his dance school.
4: He was not only flexible from the legs, even his He used to bend backwards and I was forward. So everybody was jumping this much and he used to
2: jump and not come back.
9: Now, here at the English National Ballet School, the 20-year-old continues to impress. Viviana Durante is the school's artistic director.
10: His devotion to what he does
11: and his optimism. It is so wonderful, and it really comes through his dancing. And we learn from each other, and I like the students to do that, to appreciate each other and other cultures and feel united.
9: Ballet began its days as entertainment for wealthy Italians and only became popular in Britain in the last 100 years. For Kamal to get here and make his own new traditions... He had to start by convincing his parents.
6: They didn't took me that serious, but uh, Mr Fernando, sir, uh, make a meeting uh, with my parents, told that this is the career, this is a job, you know. He will be a professional ballet dancer and he will have a job, a monthly salary that my father understood and uh, he saw that I love dancing and uh, he saw my talent. And he wants his journey to inspire others. Uh, now I'm getting also a lot of messages uh, in my social media that uh, uh, they are boys, you know, now starting dance. Uh, after watching my videos in India, uh, I think some have uh, this thought that ballet is uh, not for boys, but it's uh, wrong. Suppose there is a Romeo and Juliet ballet, uh, there is no Romeo to what Juliet will do alone, you know.
9: Kamal may be the first from India, but he doesn't want to be the last.
0: Operation Santa Claus is now in full swing. Jointly organised with the SCMP, this year we're supporting 19 charities. One of the beneficiaries is Hands On Hong Kong, which runs a project called Care Delivered with another charity, Feeding Hong Kong. Radio 3's Angie Mann talked to both project organisers to find out how their joining forces is helping some of Hong Kong's most vulnerable to cope with COVID-19.
11: My name's Catherine Danaway, and I'm the Associate Director at Hands On Hong Kong. And for us, one of the biggest challenges during the COVID-19 pandemic has simply been how can we be hands on at a time when everyone needs to be hands off we know that people are suffering greatly but there are physical challenges in reaching the people that need the most support at a time when some individuals simply can't even leave their homes at hands on hong kong our mission is to empower everyone in hong kong to volunteer and we do that by connecting the needs of local charities with people who really want to give their time to serve. And we do this as a completely free public service supporting more than 100 local nonprofits each year. This year, our volunteer programs have focused entirely on providing COVID-19 relief support. My name is Gabrielle Kirstein and I'm from Feeding Hong Kong. Feeding Hong Kong
10: is a food rescue organization and we started with a very simple idea to rescue good food that would otherwise end up in the bin and instead feed people in need. How we do that is by connecting companies that have surplus food with agencies, charities that are on the front line of poverty relief across the city. Feeding Hong Kong and Hands On Hong Kong have been great partners for many years. This year in particular, we've really built on that partnership, working together to ensure that emergency food boxes can get into the hands of families and seniors that really need that support. This year we've collaborated on hundreds of boxes and we're really excited about this opportunity with Operation Santa Claus to deliver so many more boxes in 2021 everybody around the world has been impacted by covid but those that were vulnerable already have been hit hardest and fastest with unemployment with loss of income with rising food prices this combination means that individuals and families that were just getting by before and now many of them struggling to put food on the tables The frontline agencies that we work, many of them are telling us that they're seeing two to three times the demand. That's seniors, that's families that are coming and asking for food from
11: their support centres. So Hands on Hong Kong and Feeding Hong Kong are joining forces for care delivered. One year of food assistance that people can count on, rain or shine, will have more than a thousand volunteers deliver food relief care packages straight to the doorsteps of people that need it the most. The OSC funding is making possible the entire program. The food, the storage, the transportation, logistics, the volunteer management and the training. None of it would be possible without OSC. People in Hong Kong are struggling. Families are going hungry. Care delivered is food assistance that people know they can count on for a full year a full year of food support, whatever the situation, whether there's a fourth wave, whatever happens, these hands-on volunteers will be bringing these packages straight to their doorsteps every month.
0: That was Catherine Dunway from Hands On Hong Kong and Gabriel Kirstein of Feeding Hong Kong. If you want to know more or wish to make a donation to Operation Santa Claus 2020, please visit the Radio 3 homepage or osc.scmp.com. Those stories were part of the News Wrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Our hands often touch public items covered with viruses and bacteria.
8: When we touch our eyes, nose or mouth, the pathogens can enter the body. Health is in our hands. To prevent infection, follow the seven hand cleaning steps. Rub hands for 20 seconds. Rinse thoroughly. Dry with a clean cloth or paper towel. If you can't wash your hands and they aren't visibly soiled, use an alcohol-based hand rub. What if our hands get dirty again? Clean them properly. Radio 3, weather.
2: A look at the weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Mainly cloudy with one or two light rain patches in the morning and at night. Bright periods during the day with temperatures ranging between 19 and 22 degrees. The winds we can expect will be moderate north-to-north north The outlook? One or two rain patches in the following few days, with temperatures dropping significantly next Monday. Rather cool mornings on Tuesday and Wednesday. Currently, the air quality health index here in Hong Kong is moderate, with readings of four at both stations. At the observatory, the air temperature is 20 degrees Celsius. Relative humidity stands at 82%.
8: Radio three. I am not in love, but I'm open to persuasion. East or west, where's the best? I can smile, over with a little record all oh, en ti. the beat.